Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Welcome to this week in Zoltan. It is episode 334. We're coming at you on a beautiful uh, Monday afternoon. It's not morning, but it is if you woke up when I did. Yes, I'm really proud of this mug. If you're watching this on video, I just can't. It's a donut mug. It's a donut mug. This is what I buy at Walmart. This is what I buy at Walmart. Emma and I go over there. We go our separate ways. She comes back with practical things for the household, and I find a mug uh, made of donuts, because that's who I am. I hope you guys are well. I hope uh, life's treating you good. If you're watching this on video, you've noticed. If you're uh, listening to this on audio, I uh, uh, my facial hair looks like I work in sex trafficking. That's what Emma said right now. <laughs> I'll tell you what happened. I'll tell you what happened. I went to go trim my beard. This morning, I had just come back from the road. My beard was a mess. It was all over the place. I had the scragglies sticking out of everywhere, and I went for it. I went for it, and I forgot to put the guard on. That's what I did. I forgot to put the guard on, and I went in deep, and it was... I, I went past the point of no return, so I just had to have fun with it. So I ended up doing, I gave myself some big mutton chops, some sideburns, and then a mustache and a little bit of uh, fur under the bottom lip. So I look like a lot of things. None of them good. None of them good. She said I look like I work in sex trafficking. I also look like uh, a deputy that you can get out of a ticket with some sort of uh, nefarious favors. I also look like a firefighter that would leave your cat in a tree. It's just, a, it's the worst version of everything. I like it. I like how dirty it looks. It looks dirty. I look like I have a 70s breakfast. Just a donut and a cigarette. And then I yell at my family before I go to the job that I was fired from two weeks ago. But I haven't had the heart to tell them. That's what it feels like. So I just wanted to get that out of the way for those of you people watching on video. For those of you listening, you're like, we can hear the facial hair. We can actually hear you sound filthy. Anyway, uh, it's good to see you guys. It's been um, it's been a long 10 days. I, uh, I think I was away from home for 10 days. Emma came with me. It definitely helps, but it's hard. I'm out of travel shape. I'm not good at it anymore. I'm so bad at it now that it makes me wonder if I was ever good at all. That's how much it sucked. I didn't want to leave for it. I mean, for those of you that don't travel for work, I don't know if you can relate to it, but it's kind of like... I can relate it to, you know when Monday morning hits and you know it's going to be a rough week. If you work in a warehouse, it's inventory week. That means you... And your coworkers are going to hate the sight of each other because you got to go through a giant warehouse and individually count everything in that damn warehouse. Relate that to whatever your day job is. That's what looking at my last travel schedule and leaving the house in the morning to go to the airport to start it started as. It was horrible. It was horrible. Somehow I didn't catch COVID. Somehow Emma and I knock on wood. That is me knocking on wood. We didn't catch COVID. We were surrounded by filthy, sick people everywhere. I don't even know that they had COVID. They had something. And somehow, still knocking on wood, we ended up not catching any of it. Because we flew out on Southwest. 
that's how the trip started. We flew out on Southwest to go to Phoenix. I usually make the drive. We usually make the five to six hour drive in the blue Honda Fit through the desert. And we didn't do that this time because we weren't coming home afterwards. We had to go fly to another show and then to another show and then to a wedding. So we were going to be gone for a while. So I got a one-way flight to Southwest, which, listen, every Southwest terminal sucks. But the one in San Diego sucks with passion. It sucks with the level of creativity and the level of gravitas that is worthy of a documentary. They're working on Terminal 1 in San Diego to make the Southwest Terminal better than it was. Like they, They're using federal money. Biden sent some money over because I think he heard how bad it is to fly out of there. I think Hunter Biden's ex-girlfriend or whatever sent Biden a letter. I don't know. Is that too political? I apologize. Sent Biden a letter going, hey, I got to fly out of this terminal to go... Uh, deliver uh, contraband to your son, and it would be better if this terminal was wasn't a, wasn't a hell gig, because that's what the Southwest terminal is. It's brutal. It's just first of all, there's they fit like twelve gates in a circle, and there's not enough seats for the amount of seats on the flight you're about to get on, which is a huge pet peeve. I don't know how airports get away with that. I don't know how airports get away with that. That's like lifeboats on the Titanic. After there was a giant massacre and everybody died in 1912, they made a rule that said, hey, you have to have a lifeboat with a seat for every passenger you have on board, and then plus five, probably. I'm making that up in case there's a hefty fella or two, right? Well, they should have that same rule for gate seats at an airport. If you got an airplane outside that seats 150 people, your gate needs to seat 150 people. But they never do. They never do. In any airport, they always seat like, oh, that airplane seats 150? Well, here's, uh, here's 75 seats. And then some places to sit on the ground like you're, like you're homeless. Those are the options. Well, the Southwest Terminal in San Diego has airplanes outside with like 150 seats and gates that have about 30 seats. And then the worst part is it's a circle. There's nowhere to walk. You just walk in a circle like you're, you're a hamster on a wheel and you just keep coming by the same gate, the same gate. And you're like, yeah, of course no one's left. Why? Because all these Southwest flights are delayed. Every Southwest flight is delayed. If you're on a Southwest flight and it wasn't delayed, you're not on a Southwest flight. Look up. You're accidentally on American or United or Delta or Virgin or Jet, any of them. You're on any of the other ones, I think. But anyway, we got there. We were able to get a seat. And everyone around us had a cartoonish cough. Like the type of cough where you're like, I don't think they have a cure for whatever that is. I can't tell if it's contagious, but it's definitely terminal. Those, those we were just surrounded by a cacophony of, of medical student level theory coughs. That's what we were around. Just <coughs> for like 45 minutes to an hour before we got on the flight. And I'm like, I'll be damned if we don't catch anything. And unless it hasn't caught up with this yet, I can't stop knocking on wood. We haven't caught anything. Um, but we flew out of Southwest, made it to Arizona. We stayed with our friends out there, Brandon and Sasha. Thank you so much for hosting us. 
Uh, I did a show on Thursday in Phoenix at a cat cafe, um, which if you guys don't know about cat cafes, they're all over the country. It's a wonderful concept. It's where a coffee shop is like, hey, instead of just selling lattes and little muffins, why don't we have a couple cats running around that people can pet and... If they make a strong enough connection, they can fill out a little bit of paperwork and have a new family member. It's a great business concept. They have them all over the country. I've been to one in Portland and Seattle. We have them in here in San Diego. They're all over the place. I did a show at this one in Phoenix. Now, I do want to say, before I go go ahead with the rest of the story, uh, the, the lady that owns the place, everybody that works there, absolutely wonderful, nice people, great attentive, loving, caring, hospitable, hospitable people. Now, after saying that, these cats, the ones they've had at this certain cat cafe, the cats they had at this cat cafe, I think were meant to live outside. I don't think they were meant to, I think they just took out a giant fishing net and threw it in an alley and dragged cats into that cafe against their will. There are some cats that are meant to live in an alley. I think we all know what I'm talking about. I don't think that's a disparaging thing to say. I think these were feral cats that were desperately trying to find their way out of that cat cafe. And I was doing comedy during it. Now, doing comedy at a cat cafe is going to be weird anyway. It's going to be a little different. It's a different setting. Uh, We can have fun with it. It's going to be all right. Now, what made it worse is that... There's just, during the show, there's people being attacked by cats, there's hissing, there's clawing, a prison riot broke out in the middle of my set, where like three cats just circled each other and then went at it right to my right, and then four women in cardigans just had to, just just blew out of the corners of the room like they were prison guards, and they're like, Misty, no! And then they're just trying to like break up a prison fight. This was not a cat cafe, alright? And I mean that with love. Once again, these people were very nice to me. But this was not a cat cafe. This was like if the city pound asked me to do a show and then they let all the pit bulls out after they broke up the dog fighting ring down the street and all the dogs from the dog fighting ring, rank, ring, whatever it's called, are just walking around while people are sitting there trying to listen to my comedy, but they're also trying not to lose a thumb. It was an experience. This is the only cat cafe I've been to where when you walk in, there's warnings. They're like, hey, before you go in there, if you see a cat with a pink collar, don't touch that cat. Our insurance won't cover you. Our insurance will not cover what that cat will do to you if you touch a cat with a pink collar. Purple collars don't even make eye contact, buddy. You make eye contact with a purple collared cat, you are leaving in a body bag. Do you understand me? Do you understand me? Now, what flavored latte would you like? That's what that cat cafe was like. It was The people behind it were wonderful. They are great people. Nice, loving, attentive. They clearly love animals. Those cats need to be outside. I'm not saying they need to be put down. I'm just saying they need to be outside. They need to be in the alley, fighting other alley cats, uh, mingling with the homeless. Every once in a while, someone feeding them, but then staying away. That's what those cats need to be. They don't need to be out there. They don't need to be, they don't need to be indoors. They're locked in, you know? I felt like, uh, I felt like Metallica playing a set at Sam Quentin, like they did in the, uh, 
in the uh, some kind of monster documentary. Except those prisoners wanted to hear some Metallica. These cats did not want to hear people talking. In fact, the only time, I think there was like four or five comics, the only time the cats were calm during any of the comedian sets was the guy that went on before me played a guitar. He played funny songs. And he was just playing guitar, and the cats dug that. They stayed calm, there were no fights, and then as soon as Voicey Voice came on, the claws came out, and fur was flying. And people were scrambling for the exits. Ah, I remember there was like a lady that sat and puke. <laughs> we were sitting there, and there was another comedian performing, and a cat just started yakking. Not because of the set. The set was fine, but the cats started yakking because that's what cats do, just yakked on the ground. And only me, Emma, and like an audience member noticed. And then someone else came in and just sat down right in the puke. And it was too, you know, like it was, it happened too fast before I could warn the person, you know? Because I'm not the only one that saw it. There's four of the people that saw it and we just went, ah, you're in it. Because there's also a quiet setting. There's someone doing comedy. There's like eight fights breaking out. You don't want to add to the uh, the uh, symphony of noise in that room. So you did, you just don't have enough time to warn this poor person that you're about to sit in a hairball. But boy, did she. I don't think she noticed. It's all the best. We got a giggle out of it. And uh, she had she had uh, moist pants. Um, other than that, thanks for everyone who came out to my show at Stir Crazy Comedy Club in the Glendale Mall. Uh, I had a wonderful time performing for you guys. Tried to do a bunch of my newer jokes that aren't on White Lies. Uh, speaking of which, before we get too far, go uh, if, you, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched my new hour, White Lies, what are you doing? It's, it's on YouTube now for free. Uh, it's doing well. Two weeks it's been up. It's got like 80,000 views. Pumped about it. It's doing better than Modern Mail did in that same time frame. And that one has 3 million views. So who knows? Maybe, maybe it'll work. Maybe this will uh, will beat out Modern Mail. Maybe not. But also, go watch it. It will never beat it out if you don't go watch it. So go watch the damn thing. Um, don't skip the ad so I can pay my rent. Leave a comment. Share it. You know? Be supportive. Uh, thank you to everyone that came out to Stir Crazy Comedy Club. Uh, we had four wonderful shows. I think we sold out like three of them. I think they said three of them were sold out out of four, which is thank you. Thanks for showing up. Um, I had an interesting, it wasn't even a heckler. I just had an interesting intercourse with an audience member. That's the wrong word. You know what I mean. Exchange. I think I meant to say exchange, not intercourse. I had an interesting exchange with an audience member. I was talking about baseball. I have this new bit about the Little League World Series and how like whatever it's a bit about baseball and i was there's this guy in the front who when i walked out like he wasn't clapping and i remember the two opening comics had mentioned that there's a guy in the front who's just a statue and so as soon as i came out i was like you can clap you know i just made reference to him just so he knows that i see and i would like him to enjoy himself so i don't feel as self-conscious working out these jokes in front of him and um so anyway i'm doing my dumb little baseball joke and at the end i'm like did you did you play baseball and without even really thinking about the question uh 
I just finished my little, do you, did you play baseball as a kid? And he goes, no. And I'm like, what, what sports did you play as a kid? And without even thinking about it, he just looks back at me. He goes, none. My father was a drug addict. Which, what do you do with that? You know? Lead up to that. You can't open with that. Can't, couldn't. <laughs> I've, it was one of those things where he said it. And as soon as he said it, I'm like, I have, I have more questions than the answer you just gave me. You could have just said, I never played sports as a kid. You could have just lied and said basketball. You could have lied and said any sport. You could have lied and said golf. And then you could tell by the way I look, I don't know anything about golf. I mean, with the facial hair I have on right now, maybe mini golf. Maybe I rent, rent the clubs at a mini golf center until they look into my history and realize I'm not that not allowed to be that close to children and I lose the job. But yeah, this guy just goes, I, I never played youth sports because my father was a drug addict. And the audience, everyone's laughing. I'm dumbfounded. He's like, he gets why that was a ridiculous thing to say, but he is also like, it's the truth. And I just, I don't know. There's something about it. I just looked in his eyes. He had very nice eyes. He looked into my eyes and I was like, I feel like we should go play catch right now. If I had a baseball in that moment, I would have stopped the show. We would have went outside onto the second floor terrace of that shopping mall in Glendale, Arizona, and we would have thrown a couple pitches back and forth. What a wild thing to say. In public. I guess that's the only place you could say that in public, and that would be, uh, you know, that would be okay. I remember there was a seminar in high school where a guy, I don't remember what the speech was, but it was some kind of pep talk. And during the speech, he was like the whole time he's holding a football and he asked someone to stand. And he's like, hey, I'm going to throw you this football and I trust that you will catch the football because I trust in you. And he threw it and the guy caught it. And I just, I was just thinking if that same question was thrown in that setting in a high school gymnasium. He's like, hey, did you ever play any organized sports? He goes, no, my father's a drug addict. What do you do then? You just have to throw the football and hope to God he don't break his nose. You're kind of in no man's land. No. Leave it to Phoenix, man. Arizona's a boomtown. Good Lord. Arizona is such a boomtown. Everyone's living there. Houses aren't even cheap anymore. It's crazy. I don't, like, I don't know where Emma and I could buy a house now. I guess Memphis. I think Memphis is still uh, pretty rough. So I guess that's the only place we could still buy. I don't know. It used to, like, like first, you know, San Diego in the center was expensive. And then it moved out, and then eventually it's like, well, you can live in Temecula, which is like Riverside County. That's not even in the same county anymore. And then River, then Temecula got too expensive. And then people are like, we're moving to Arizona. And now Arizona's too expensive. I, everyone that has a home, my buddy Dane just bought a home. I wish him the best of luck. And thank God he got in when he did. Congratulations. But also, can it crash now? Now, I think all my friends have houses. So I'm glad they got in. But now can it crash? And then they can keep their house, of course. I don't want them to lose that. But I want in. I want to own something. What else? Oh, yeah. This was not the end of our trip. After uh, Arizona, we flew out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I got booked to do a corporate event. Uh, 
this very nice lady reached out to me through my website, which, by the way, if you want to book me for a show, you can reach out through my website, uh, ZoltanComedy.com. And, you know, if you offer me a lot of money, I'll show up. Although that might not be a lot of money to you. It would be to me. But yeah, this lady reached out, and she works for a hedge fund in New York City. And she's like, yeah, we're doing a company retreat in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And we'd love it uh, if you did some comedy. And I was like, okay. So I showed up, and I don't know anything about hedge funds, man. I, You know what I know about hedge funds? Wolf of Wall Street. I know the big short. That's what I know about hedge funds. I know that in the beginning of Wolf of Wall Street... They just threw a little person around who was covered in Velcro against a fuzzy wall, and they were trying to get the high score. And that's what I was like, oh, I don't want to perform for them. I don't want to perform for that type of person. And then I showed up to do the show, and that's exactly who I performed for. I performed for about 28 villains. <laughs> I'm kidding. They were nice. They were nice. But it was a classic uh, corporate show where... You try really hard to get a mediocre response. Now, some corporate shows go great, but for the most part, that's exactly what you're walking into. I performed for 28 people in a small dining room area where I stood in the corner, and they gave me a sound system that they sound checked right before I went on. It was like at 9 o'clock at night on a Tuesday, after they had dinner and desserts and speeches about quarterly revenue dividends and what have yous. Uh, and I brought Emma, and bless her heart, Emma's never seen me, like, in a corporate event setting, because she's like, you're gonna do great, because she sees me do well on stage at comedy clubs and normal comedy venues and normal comedy settings with comedy audiences and people that are there to have a night out or a date night, had a couple drinks in them. She's never seen me in, like, a corporate, this is a bad situation setup. And I remember we're getting out of the elevator. And she goes, you're going to do great. And I go, that is not the goal. The goal is to survive. And that's honestly the goal. When you're a comedian, you get booked to do a corporate. There's no fantasy in your head that you're going to leave with a standing ovation. And they're going to carry you off on their shoulders. And then they're going to give you an honorary role in their company where they just send you a paycheck every two weeks, even though you don't do anything. That doesn't happen. I mean, I still have dreams every now and then where I it does but that never happens the goal as a comedian in a corporate setting is to survive to not die to finish do the job get the chuckles and leave you're gonna get some chuckles you might get a hearty laugh here and there but the goal is to survive there are no winners in a corporate event Okay, it's like, uh, I don't know what to compare it to. It's like the movie Predator. If you're going to walk in with a group, most of those people will be mangled and mutilated, and your goal is to be Arnold Schwarzenegger at the end of that 90 minutes of hell in that jungle to be leaving covered in mud and blood and sweat and tears and to just hang on to that helicopter as it chop, 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 chop. Over to the Spring Hill Suites. That is the only goal as a comedian in a corporate event. Survive. And I survived. It was, a, it was not a good set. It was a, it was a bomb. But I survived. Nobody died. But here's the thing. While I'm bombing, 
the only guy in that group that did look like a villain. There's this dude with like a shaved head. He looked like he was in the late 20s, early 30s. He had a, a loud blazer on with a louder shirt underneath. And he's wearing like the loafers, no socks. And the pants were up high so you saw his little ankle bones. He goes and saunters over to the bar where Emma's sitting. And while I'm bombing, he just starts hitting on Emma. Just starts hitting on my lady. My fiance just starts giving her the sweet words while I'm over here bombing in the corner with no sound system. And I call him out. I'm like, are you hitting on my fiance? And then he just kind of like, it, uh, it keeps hitting on her. And Emma gives him the cold shoulder and goes, yeah, I'm with him, blah, 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 and doesn't make eye contact. He eventually leaves. He sits down, and I go, were you hitting on my fiance? And he, he, he says, he goes, don't worry, she's loyal. And then takes a sip of red wine like a villain, like a Bond villain in the middle of a movie. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? How do you even respond to that? And to make matters worse, while he was hitting on her, I'm like, is that guy hitting on my lady? The whole table he came from is like, oh no, he's engaged. And guess what? He was hitting on my lady. Emma told me afterwards. I was, he was like, yeah, he was like trying to chat me up. And then he's going, ugh, dead crowd. Like, so he's bagging on me and trying to steal my lady, but he didn't get it. He did not succeed. Anyone, this is where I take pride. Anyone can get a woman if you got money. That's just how it goes. There's something that goes back into, like, I'm not saying they can get any woman they want. I'm just saying you'll find somebody. That will come along because you have a lot of money. They'll look at you and go, yeah, I guess I'll sleep with that so I can get this and have some kind of life. And then I'll try to leave them and take half. There are women out there that will do that. There's also guys out there that will do that. But what part of it made me feel good is, I, I mean, I, I assumed Emma wouldn't leave me for this dirtbag. And I, I assumed correctly because she's a, a lovely lady. And But it made me feel good. That, like, a guy with no money, like me, got the lady, and the guy with a lot got nothing. That's my only victory. Especially in a corporate setting like that, that's all you can do. Anyone can get a woman if you make, like, a million dollars. Try, try getting someone when you met them and you lived in a garage. That's when you know you got some character, some moxie, and not this facial hair. I met her and it was different. Um, but yeah, what a kick in the nuts that show was. Who wants to deal with that, you know? What else did we do? Uh, I also did a show in Ports. Yeah, after that, we flew all the way to Boston. Also, Jackson, Wyoming, absolutely gorgeous. We went around, saw some like nature-y stuff. It was amazing. It was uh, Jackson, Wyoming is the only airport where when you get off over by baggage claim they have bear mace rentals you can buy a, you can rent a can of bear mace before you leave i've never seen that in any airport ever there's just people getting their luggage and then going over to a kiosk going are you really renting bear mace and they're like uh-huh you should take some and you're like well, i kind of like it i feel like more airports should do that like the one in san francisco wouldn't that be good all the high crime cities, once you land, they're like, would you like to rent some bear mace and a bulletproof vest? Huh? Hold on to that rental car nice and safely. 
They even had it at the hotel I was staying at. One time I came down and I was getting a couple bottles of water at like the hotel gift shop thing and I was trying to go pay for it and there was this like older lady in front of me and the guy behind the counter is like, do you want to rent some bear mace? Because she had a map out. I think she was headed to Yosemite or not Yosemite, Yellowstone. And he goes, yeah, here's the bear mace. And she had no idea what it was. She's like, so I just pull this and press this. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just pull this, point it towards the bear and press this. And she's like, what does it do? Is it, does it make like a loud noise and they run away? And he's like, no, 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 it's bear spray. It's like pepper spray. You spray it in their eyes and then they run away. And, and she's like, okay. And she's just holding it with two hands. Like she's never held a device like this before. And I'm like, that lady's going to die. How about telling her not to go into nature? Like if, if that's how bad it is out there in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, that they're giving away bear mace at the airport and at the Spring Hill Inn and Suites, then maybe we should give the elderly lady the advice of not going or going with a giant group of people. She was there by herself. She's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go take a stroll in the woods. I guess I'll take some bear mace. Why not? She's gonna die." She's going to die, and they're going to interview that guy in the Lifetime movie about her bear murder. What does it matter with people? Don't go. Go with a group. Go with a group. I know it's lame, and it is lame, but once you get old, just get on that big tour bus with all the other tourists and come on out with your slacks and your Oxford shirt tucked in and your dumb little hiking boots and roll those little slacks up and go on your hike with 30 people. That'll keep the bears away. Don't give an elderly person bear mace. Are you insane? Are you insane? You watched her drive up. You gave her a valet pass. Now you're going to give her poisonous sprays? What is the matter with you? Um, after that, yeah, we flew to Boston. Stayed at an Airbnb out in the sticks of Boston, out in this nice neighborhood. We stayed in this attic. I gotta say, I'm not. Emma's the Airbnb person. I'm. I will take a hotel over an Airbnb any day. I love it. There's someone that works in the front. There's snacks. There's a gym. There's a parking lot. It's next to civilization. You don't have to remember a code. There's a key. If you lose your key, they'll just make you another key. If you don't like the pillow, they'll bring you more pillows. If you got to use the towel to wipe your ass because you didn't know where the toilet paper was or because you had a, a wicked case of Thai food diarrhea, like, there's people to help is my point. And it was, it was a nice Airbnb, but it was like, it was the doors didn't lock. We couldn't figure out how to lock the doors. There's like four doors to get up to the attic. There's the first house door. We didn't know how to lock that. Then there's a second door, couldn't lock that. Then there's like three flights of stairs. And then there's one more and we couldn't lock any of them. And we figured it out after the first night that we couldn't lock these doors. And Emma was so scared because she's like, what if we just hear like, dump, 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 coming up the stairs? How much time do we have to get, to get ourselves together to fight this person? And at that point, I was so tired because it was a travel day that while I'm brushing my teeth, I was actually thinking about someone running up in the middle of the night and killing us in our sleep and I was good with it. Have you ever been that tired? Where you're like in a situation where you're like, this isn't safe. 
someone could sneak in and kill us. But also, I'm very tired. So the only two options I have are to not get a good night's sleep and stay awake to be on the lookout for said potential murderer. Or I can just take a good long look at the life I have lived, be proud of the accomplishments I've accomplished, be proud of the connections and relationships I've had, and be good with maybe dying on a Monday night. That's what I came to. I came to the conclusion that I'm good with not seeing tomorrow. And those are the kind of excuses you have to make and decisions you have to come to when you stay at an Airbnb. I've never had that train of thought staying at a residence in by Marriott. Never have. Because the door locks, and then you put the little latch on it. And even if a murderer comes in, he's got to kill the front desk guy first, and then take the elevator. I'm gonna, there's going to be warnings. I'm not just in a house in a wooded neighborhood without sidewalks in the suburbs of Boston. I'm taking a hotel every time. Every time. There's also no smoking signs everywhere. That's another thing I didn't like. It was like a nice Airbnb. They had seven no smoking signs in a studio apartment. It was everywhere. Everywhere. To the point where I wanted to smoke. I don't smoke. But I'm like, I will pick up the habit just because I hate that you're telling me what to do. It's Airbnb. Do you have any idea what the cleaning fee was? It was like 500 bucks. It didn't cost 500 bucks to stay there. But the cleaning fee was outrageous. I want to blow smoke into your sheets. Quit telling me not to do stuff. Just say it once or twice. Seven times. They had a no smoking sign above another no smoking sign in the bathroom. And I'm like, I want to take a dump on your sign. All right. What else we got here? I think we're wrapping up. Uh, We had the Amtrak station. I took the train down from Boston down to Providence, Rhode Island. I've never been to Providence, Rhode Island. It was nice. I mean, you know, this is as nice as can be. Uh, A lot of people saying not for nothing. I had an Uber driver that five times, not for nothing. And she said it enough and used it in enough situations that I should be able to tell you now what not for nothing means. I have no idea what not for nothing means. I, I think it means nothing. Not for nothing should just be replaced by don't listen to what I'm saying right now. Because it's pointless. She might as well be telling me about her dream. Not for nothing. Not for nothing. We got some pretty good Thai food in Providence. I don't know what that means. Just say you got some pretty good Thai food in Providence. <laughs> Providence. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we went to the Amtrak station. And taking the train on the East Coast is supposed to be a treat. But that station we went to in Boston, I could have swore we were on a Spirit Airlines flight without wings. That's what the station looked like. The Amtrak station was a mess. A mess. Filthy people. Filthy people. Dirty. Dirty to the point it was unbelievable. Like, these people weren't homeless. They were getting on the train. They bought a ticket, just like we did. They're getting on the next one. They're going down to Providence. Not for nothing. These people were filthy. All right? Like, if if they were extras in the musical Laban's Rob, the director would be like, this is unbelievable, even for the theater. 
even for theatrical makeup where everything's over the top so people in the back row can see that you're filthy. It looked too much for the theater. That's how dirty these people were. And we were next, there was a, there's so many whack jobs. I saw there was a lady with a burlap sack of potatoes. All right, she had a potato sack, like she just bought it from a farm. Where's she coming from? We're in downtown Boston. Where'd you buy a burlap sack of potatoes? Giant, like a 40 pound sack of spuds, just walking through the Amtrak station and no one's caring and I'm just staring at her. And she kind of has a look on her face where she's like, oh, I should have bought a second sack of spuds. She wasn't even, she, she's like, this is fine. Everything's normal. Look at all these potatoes. We're getting ready for the winter. There's an Amish person. There's a whole group of Amish people. Uh, but I didn't see them coming up. Because Amish people, when you see Amish people in public, it's surprising. But it's nice when you see them before they see you, right? You see them from a distance and then you can get yourself ready and go, yeah, we're in America. We respect everyone's religions. It's easier that way. But I wasn't ready. We turned a corner and there was just an Amish guy with the hat and his neck beard and he was eating a slice of pizza sideways. He had a slice of pizza and he's just like it was corn on the cob. And I'm like, <laughs> I wasn't ready. So I had a look on my face like I just startled myself by looking at an Amish person that looked like he was out of a horror movie eating a slice of pizza sideways like it was some kind of new Pizza Hut gimmick where they stuff cheese on the side somehow. And I'm like, get the hell out of here. Where are you going? Why are you here? Who are you visiting? Why haven't you had pizza before? Why do you think you eat it like that? It's shaped like an arrow. Just do the skinny side first and work your way up. Why would you think it's sideways? <sighs> Stay off the trains, you guys. Um, I think that's it for this week. Uh, I'll leave it with this. Panera. We'll finish this nice long episode. <laughs> I love eating Panera when I travel. But Panera Bread might be the most hit or miss restaurant of all restaurants on the road. Like, there's some Paneras where I walk in, and after that meal, I'm like, they deserve a Michelin star. The bread was fresh. The salad was amazing. The dressing was tart. Had a nice little kick to it. The soup was hot and made me feel like I was being hugged by my mother on a winter day. And then there's other Paneras where you're like, I'm never going to have a tomato again. That was disgusting. Ugh. And there's the guy who took our order at the Panera. I know we're in like a hiring crisis. No one wants to work. But I've noticed from traveling, there's a lot of employees that should be in the back that are now in the front, and we got to deal with them. And it's startling. It's, it was, he was one of those guys where it took me two minutes of talking to him for me to realize it's him. You know what I mean? It was one of those where like while I'm ordering, I'm, I'm like, am I doing this wrong? Am I being a, a, a dick right now? Am I, am I wrong? And then like two minutes in, I'm like, oh, oh, it's you. You're supposed to be in the, ah. All right. He's got something. He was one of those guys, he had something, but you didn't know what it was, but it took a minute for you to realize he had something. So then I realized I'm taking my own order. When you're in that situation, you realize, oh, this is on me. I, I just clocked in 
at Panera, and I gotta walk this guy through my sandwich order, otherwise I'm never gonna see my sandwich. And I hope this crisis goes away. I hope qualified people go back to the jobs that they had, or new qualified people come in and take these jobs, and guys like that guy can go to the back and just go back to washing tomatoes or whatever the hell they had him doing before they put him in the front. I think that's the show. Thank you guys so much for listening, downloading, subscribing, leaving five-star reviews and all that, and then some. Uh, Don't forget to come to my shows. Go to ZoltanComedy.com. I got my tour dates up there off the top of my head. Uh, Renton, Washington, Tampa, Florida, La Jolla, California, Kansas City, Missouri. There's a lot. And then give me your email if you go to ZoltanComedy.com, and I'll email you when I come to a town near you. Don't forget to watch White Lies on YouTube. Share it, subscribe it, follow me on all the social medias. Be kind to each other. And yes, I will shave off this horrible mustache and mutton chops. Cheers, everybody.